God, to the cross this afternoon, even as we look to the cross, that, Lord, you will minister your grace to our hearts, that, Lord, we will glow in what you have achieved for us through the person of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. We thank you, we honor you, we bless you, we give you glory in this place, even as we declare this in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. As you sit, why don't you say to someone, no one else but Jesus. Amen. Well, over the course of this month, we have been looking at the cross of Christ. We've been looking at the subjects of the cross of Christ. And interestingly, we find ourselves in what essentially is a pivotal week in the church calendar. Uh, a DI say not just in what is being celebrated as we move towards Easter, but really this week probably, in my estimation, marks the most important week that occurred in all of human history. It is Easter week, or Holy Week to be more precise, as the church calendar will say. Uh, today, uh, we are celebrating Palm Sunday, and the rest of this week unfolds really as the, the story speaks in uh, the gospel account of Jesus' journey to the cross. Jesus' journey to the cross. Last week, Christian uh, was speaking about the topic of the offense of the cross, and he mentioned that there are essentially two kinds of people that exist. Those for whom the cross of Christ is an offense, and those who seek to glory in what the cross of Jesus Christ has uh, accomplished for them. You see, from the moment when Jesus left heaven... His destination was to bring salvation to all men through the cross of Jesus Christ. At that point when uh, Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of everything and took on himself the form of humanity, the form of a man. All through that process, there was one destination, the destination of the cross of Jesus Christ. He finished, interestingly, with a hymn last week that I want to begin with this week. And it's the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain an Interest in the Savior's Blood. The third verse says this, He left His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace. He emptied Himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free for oh my god it found out me long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night thine eye diffused a quickening ray i woke the dungeon flamed with light my chains fell off my heart was free i rose went forth and followed thee you know there's a reason why we can follow jesus because when we look to the cross, we see the, the wonderful task that has been accomplished. The wonderful 
immense thing that has been accomplished personally for you, personally for me. As I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday and uh, in the church's calendar, it begins that journey to the cross where uh, the narrative in the gospel says that Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a colt, a journey that will take him to the cross where he would make a significant exchange for all humanity, past, present, and future. You see, when Jesus died, his death pointed to that which had gone, but also that which was to come. And today we want to look at how we exchange on the cross of Jesus Christ several things. How we exchanged on Calvary several things for you and for me. Our rags were changed into his glory. I want to begin uh, this afternoon by reading uh, the account from Isaiah chapter 53. If you have your Bibles, you can follow me. I'm just going to read the first six verses of Isaiah 53. It says, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 is a prediction given by God. It was written before Jesus showed up. Isaiah had written to the Jews he was a Jewish prophet and he'd, he, he, he'd, he'd written and he'd spoken about this Messiah who was to come. A man, Jesus. Oddly enough, the Jews do recognize prophecy. They recognize that there was a Jesus who was to come. There was a Messiah who was to come. There was an anointed one sent from God who was to come. And that's why at the birth of Jesus Christ, they could connect the pieces of the puzzle because they knew in their account that this had been spoken of. There was a Savior who was to come. However, when he came, he was despised, he was rejected, just as the prophetic word given by Isaiah said he would be. And what was his end goal? His end goal was to go to the cross. And through his giving of himself on the cross of Calvary, make a divine transaction 
that you and I, as we enter into it by faith, could experience everything that was His, which has now become ours because of the exchange that took place. You see, when you uh, go to a shop to buy something, there's an exchange that is taking place. You would give them some cash or pay them by card or something similar, I would hope. And in exchange for that, they would give you some goods. A transaction has taken place. And so when you walked out of Sainsbury's or Tesco or Next or I don't know, whatever shop it might be that you've been in, and you walk out with those goods, you are not looking over your shoulder to think, well, is somebody going to follow me out of the door? Why? Because a transaction has taken place. An exchange has taken place. What has happened is that you've given them something in exchange for something else. And what you now have in your hands as you walk out with that carrier bag out of that store, out of that shop, out of that grocery store, whatever it might be, you are walking out with something that now belongs to you. Something that you now own. Something that is yours. And so at the cross of Calvary, there was a divine exchange. And this is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This divine exchange that has taken place. But let's reflect on those verses that we've just read. In verse 1 of Isaiah 53, it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah is asking a question here. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, we can twist that particular verse around and answer the question that he's asking. The arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe the report. The arm of the Lord is, believe, is revealed to those who believe the report. It is that simple. You see, the arm of the Lord signifies God himself, signifies what he brings, signifies how he deals with us. And he says that who has believed the report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, when we believe the report, the report of what he has accomplished for us, that which he has accomplished for us will truly be revealed in our lives. And the report is this, that there was a Christ who was to come. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah prophesied this, that there was a Messiah. Verse 2 says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. You see, Jesus Christ didn't stand out from the crowd. I'm sure if we were given the task to prepare for the arrival of the king of kings to, to prepare for the arrival of the one who the Bible says has measured out the heavens with the span of his arms. To, to prepare for the arrival for the one who the scripture says holds the waters of the world in the hollow of his hands. If we were to prepare for him, I'm sure 
we would not have chosen the route or the path that he came into this world by. Very ordinary. Almost missed because of the ordinariness of his nature. You know, I believe one thing, and uh, I might be wrong in this. You see, Jesus Christ was so ordinary that you could have missed him if you walked by him. He was so ordinary, he was just such a regular man, a regular guy, that you would have missed him if you walked by him. There was nothing about him that would cause you to stop and stare and say, Oh wow, the Messiah. No. And in obscurity, more or less, he spent 30 years of his life. But then, at the age of 30, he walks up to John at the Jordan River. He gets baptized. The Spirit of God descends on him. And out of that, the Bible says, the heavens opened and a voice spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And he goes out of the baptism that had just taken place into the wilderness. The Bible says to be tempted of the devil. He is challenged by the devil in the wilderness. And he comes out of the wilderness, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit. And he begins his earthly ministry. But you see, every step of the way, there was just one destination, and that destination was the cross. Every step of the way, when he came through uh, that miraculous conception in the womb of Mary, when he went into the temple and he was, he was uh, 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 learning and, and, and asking questions of the teachers of the law, when he was baptized in the Jordan, when he went into the wilderness, when he was tempted of the enemy, everything was pointing to the cross. Because ultimately, as verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. The Hebrew word for sorrows there is the word pain. Jesus was acquainted with pain. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The word grief there is the Hebrew word for sickness. A man acquainted with pain. A man acquainted with sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And the prophecy begins to unfold. Surely he's borne our griefs. He's carried your sickness. He's carried your pain. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him and by his stripes. By the wounds inflicted on him, we are healed. And then Isaiah speaks about how we have turned away. Everything that we need that he came to give us, we turned away from it. The Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. And so the cross was God's roadmap, the route that will lead us back into relationship with him. It was no accident. It was in God's plan from the very beginning. You see, in God's thinking, the cross has always been 
even before the foundation of the world. The plan of salvation was in God's thoughts. It's the center point that would reconcile us back to him. A plan which culminated in a divinely ordered and ordained exchange which will take place at Calvary. And so I want us to reflect on the exchanges that took place as Jesus Christ was nailed on that cross, as he went through the torture, the pain, the torment, and ultimately death, to the point where God turned his back on him because he was carrying our sins, your sin, my sin. An exchange took place. Now, if you have a, a car and you're looking to trade that car, or you had something else that was old and you're looking to trade it, and I'm sure and I'm certain that you're not going to trade your banger for another banger that is far worse than your banger. You want to trade for a better model. You want to trade for something that is better. And every exchange that took place on the cross gave us something better. You see, the covenants that we have, as Hebrew says, is a better covenant. Everything that God brings to you is better than what you had before. If you think you had something before that is good, in the cross, Jesus Christ exchanged it so you could have something better in the new covenant. Amen. And so what were these exchanges? Derek Prince presents this in his book, The Nine Exchanges on the Cross. I just want to run through them very quickly this afternoon. The first exchange is that Jesus was punished that you and I might be pardoned. That you and I might be pardoned. You know, Praise was sharing this morning uh, about a story in the way of the master where uh, this fireman uh, who was meant to, I guess, as part of his job, rescue people who were caught in fire. And he goes, um, and uh, uh, this is a fire that had taken place. He's meant to be doing his job. He puts on his headphone, relaxes in his truck. And whilst he's doing that, people were dying. And so at the end, you know, he's... Uh, uh, taken to a court of law, he's um, uh, 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 dis dismissed from the fire service, and they're about to prosecute him, and the tape stops, and the question is asked, what would you give him as a sentence? Because this is what he's meant to be doing. His very job is to rescue people, and here he was, listening to music and not doing his job, and those people perished because he hadn't rescued them. You see where? A crime has been committed, punishment is right. That is justice. That's why we have a justice system. So that if people commit crimes, that crime in some way can be dealt with and the right punishment meted out. Now every single one of us have committed a crime. You and I have committed a crime and that crime is sin. And the punishment of sin is death. 
Romans speaks of this, the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. The recommends for sin is death. And so that was the punishment that was due. And we have now been pardoned. You no longer will be punished. Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary took your punishment. And because he took your punishment, he's paid for the crime, he's done the time, and you can receive pardon freely. You may think it's too much to be pardoned because, you know, you might look at yourself and sometimes people struggle with this. And we have lots of, 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 of uh, a discipleship framework within our church where we help people to deal with some of the stuff that they've struggled with. We encourage people to come on the living free, to go on the weekend encounters as a way of unraveling some of the stuff that maybe you struggle with. And you may think that, no, you don't know what I've done. I mean, you don't really know what I've done. I want to say to you that whatever it is that you have done, the pardon that Jesus purchased for you on the cross of Calvary is being exchanged to you today. It was accomplished and all you need to do is come to him and receive it. The second thing is that Jesus was wounded that you might be healed. Jesus was wounded that you might be healed by his stripes. Those stripes that he took upon his body, we have been healed. And so Jesus takes our wounds, he takes our sicknesses upon himself, and he offers to us healing. He offers to us healing. When he died on that cross, the exchange was that every sickness, every disease, everything that was linked to the wounds that we would have had, he took upon himself and he exchanged that for healing. And that's why we can believe God for healing and restoration in our lives and the lives of those around us. Because the God that we serve, who sent his son Jesus to die on that cross, exchanges for sickness his healing hand. Jesus, number three, was made sin with your sinfulness that you might be made righteous with his righteousness. Wow. Jesus was made sin with your sinfulness, my sinfulness, that we might receive his righteousness. We might be made righteous with his righteousness. You see, righteousness is simply having right standing with God. Now, in order for you and I to have right standing with God, there has to be no iota, not even the appearance of sin in our lives. Because He's a holy God and a God that cannot tolerate sin. And if that was the case, then all of us, all of us, every single one of us, we have already lost it. But Jesus on the cross of Calvary took upon himself your sin, my sin, that which would prevent us from coming to God. And he exchanged with us his righteousness 
so that you and I can have access to God. The reason why you have access to God is because of the right standing you have. And that right standing has got absolutely nothing to do with how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, how much you spend time you spend in church, how many, how many hours you spend in your cell group, etc., etc., etc. It has got absolutely nothing to do with that, but everything to do with what Jesus has exchanged in your place. He gave us his righteousness for our sinfulness. And so when God looks, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that once for all satisfied because it was a sinless, pure sacrifice. And every time you and I can come boldly to his throne of grace to find help in time of need. Now, I want to pause at this point because as I was preparing this message, the Spirit of God spoke to me very clearly that there are people here in this congregation and your greatest struggle is recognizing that you are worthy to come to a holy God. Your struggle is that I don't even know if I can come to God. You know, I just feel unworthy. I just feel that God's not going to accept me. Because God's not going to accept you. He's not going to accept me. He's not going to accept any one of us. But if we come through the person of Jesus Christ, every single one of us becomes accepted in him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. You are hidden in Christ, in God. And so when you come to him, you're not coming in your own righteousness. Because your righteousness is like filthy rags. However much you try to pile it up, you're not going to meet the grade. But Jesus' righteousness has made the grade. And that's why we can come to him boldly. And I need to say this. You can come to God boldly. Not arrogantly, boldly. In humility, recognizing that an exchange took place on the cross that gave you Jesus' righteousness, and you come to him in that righteousness. Number four, Jesus died our death that we might share his life. We were condemned to death. You and I were condemned to death. But Jesus Christ died in your place he died in my place that we might have life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him in what he has done on the cross of Calvary would not perish but have eternal life and friends eternal life starts now Eternal life doesn't begin when you get to heaven. The life that God offers us is not something that we're going to attain in the sweet by and by. Pie in the sky when I die kind of stuff. No. God wants you to begin to have an experience and enjoy that life now. Here. The moment you put faith in Jesus Christ, death has passed from you. And you can begin to walk in life. 
You see, every single one of us who put faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you're a new creation. The old has passed away, all has become new. And because of that truth, because of that truth, death, Corinthians 15 says, is simply a gateway. It is not a sting. And oftentimes when we have to minister in funerals of believers here in this church, yes, we're sad and we're sorrowful that they're no longer with us physically in person, but we also rejoice because we know that we will be reunited one day. Because for the believer in Jesus Christ, life goes on. Life doesn't stop with death. You just move to another dimension. Life continues. And you have the same consciousness that you have in this life. And that's why the Apostle Paul reminds us in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Exchange number five. Jesus was made a curse that we might receive the blessing. You see, a curse came upon humanity because of Adam's sin. And part of that curse is everything that we experience, including death. A curse that came upon humanity because of Adam's sin. And that's why Corinthians speaks about the first Adam being a living soul, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, being a life-giving spirit. Jesus is a life-giving spirit who has broken the curse. Because the scripture says in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree on the cross. Jesus is exchanged on the cross, your curse over your life for the blessing that will come through him. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You know, one of the greatest blessings that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ is access to the Spirit. When Jesus Christ was about to leave, he said to the disciples, wait, wait, don't go anywhere until you have access to the Spirit. Because the Spirit will guide and lead you into all truth. He will reveal Jesus to you. He will not do of himself, but he will reveal that which will help you to walk with Jesus daily. Don't underestimate the blessing of the Spirit that has come into your life. God has blessed us, the scripture says in Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He has given us all that pertains to life, naturally, but all that pertains to godliness, spiritual life. And so the Spirit of God is not just there to connect you with God. He's not just there to be, as it were, an exchange line for you to get to heaven. 
But the Spirit of God is here to help you to live the kind of life that will be satisfying, the blessing of the Spirit. And I want to emphasize that. If there's anything else you take from this particular point, that Jesus exchanged on the cross our curse for his blessing, that you remember that we have been blessed with the gift of the Spirit. We've been blessed with the gift of the Spirit. The one that can lead you. The one that can guide you. The one that can draw you close to God. But the one that can also show you how you might not dash your foot against a stone. The one that can help to open our eyes to the schemes and devices and plans of the enemy. The one that can lead us every single day from everything to how we to conduct ourselves in our jobs, what, what, what things we should invest in financially. The Spirit of God can lead us every step of the way in this walk of life. And so every curse has been broken because of Calvary and the blessing has come to you because of that. Number six, Jesus shared in our poverty that we might share in his abundance. You see, abundance is when you have all that you need. God says that he will supply all that you need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so the poverty that was ours was exchanged on the cross of Calvary for God's abundance. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John 10.10 But I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that through his poverty you might become rich. Exchange number seven. Jesus bore our shame that we might share, that we might share, that we might enjoy his glory. That we might share in his glory, in his splendor. You see, there's no more shameful a death than crucifixion. You see, the Romans were masters at causing and inflicting pain and humiliation. They were masters at this. And they wanted to make a spectacle of this individual who had dared to call himself king. And so on the cross when he was crucified, he was stripped naked. You know, the pictures, the images that we have, they're not really true. Jesus didn't have a loincloth that covered up his nether regions, as we would say. Jesus was stark naked on the cross. The most shameful picture that could be presented. And in that shame, that he took, which is your shame, which is my shame, he exchanged to us his glory. Maybe there's stuff that you are thinking, no, I'm so ashamed of that. I'm so ashamed. I don't even want anyone to know 
what I've done. Shameful in our estimation. I want to say to you today, Jesus has taken your shame. Jesus has taken your shame. The cross of Jesus Christ was the place where that shame was exchanged. And you don't need to walk in shame any longer. You don't need to walk with your head held down. Because God has restored. You know, I have a theory. It might be a wrong theory. The Bible says that on the cross, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, that darkness descended at the point of his crucifixion. It got to the point where God said, you know something, this is, my son is just such a spectacle. I can't allow this any longer. I need to let darkness descend and cover up the spectacle because it was so shameful. And maybe you're wanting to cover up that shame. I want to say to you, don't cover it up. Hand it to Jesus. Exchange it for the glory that he has purchased for you. Exchange number eight. Jesus endured our rejection that we might have acceptance with the Father. You see, the word reconciliation is a word that actually gives an image or picture of people who were enemies now becoming friends. When Jesus died on the cross, he endured our rejection that we might be accepted by our heavenly father. And so you and I are now accepted in the beloved. We don't need to do anything. We're accepted because Jesus has taken on himself our rejection. In Isaiah 53 it says he was despised and rejected by men, just as he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. And if you've experienced any form of rejection in your life, I want to say to you today that Jesus took on board himself on the cross that rejection that you might be accepted in him. And finally, Number nine, Jesus was cut off by death that we might be joined to God eternally. Our old man was put to death in him that the new mind might come alive in us. The scripture says that those who come to him, he would in no wise cast out. And as many as receive him, to them he gave the enablement, the empowerment to become children of God. You see, when God accepts you, it's a settled deal. We can be fickle sometimes. One day we like this, another day we don't like this. One day we accept this, another day we don't accept this. We see God is not like that. The moment you put your faith and trust in what Jesus accomplished for you, on the cross of Calvary, you become accepted. And nothing, but nothing, will ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 puts it this way. There's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can anyone separate us from the love of God? 
shall trouble or persecution or famine or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who first loved us. And I'm persuaded, and listen to this, that neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all of creation. It's interesting that Paul qualifies because sometimes the very thing that can seek to separate us is not the enemy, it's each other. Not any other thing in all of creation can separate us, can separate you, can separate me from the love of God. And so when we are joined to him, we're joined to him eternally. And so we can't put our faith in the cross. We can't allow him to exchange the fact that we were cut off and receive that blessing of being joined to God, to our father eternally. He will in no wise cast you out. And you are now his child. Forever and a day, you are his child. He will never turn his back on you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so we cannot change the perfect plan of salvation, the cross which speaks of what God has given to us, the exchange that has taken place through what has accomplished, been accomplished on Calvary. And how can we appropriate this wonderful exchange? We take hold of it by faith. By faith. You can buy it. You can earn it. You can simply believe it. And that settles it. And you can walk in the fullness of what Calvary has accomplished for you. Let's stand together. Ask the uh, technical team to just play this DVD. And as this DVD is being played, I want it to be a prayer. It's a picture of the cross. The words of the song, Beautiful Exchange, says this. You were near though I was distant, disillusioned. I was lost and insecure. Still mercy fought for my attention. You were waiting at the door. Then I let you in, trading your life for my offenses. For my redemption, you carried all the blame, breaking the curse of our condition. Perfection took our place. When only love could make a way, you gave your life in a beautiful exchange. That's what the cross did. Jesus gave his life in a beautiful, a beautiful exchange. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for what the cross has accomplished for us. Lord, even right now in this closing moments of this service, I just want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the beginning of that journey. You've never said yes to Jesus. Even as we finish now, I want to ask if you want to give your life to Jesus today, that you can begin that journey of exchange and the blessing and everything that is accomplished for you on the cross. Just like you to lift your hands. I'll acknowledge it. I will pray for you. And we have a team will help to just give you something, give you a, a pack.
Thank you, Brother Sivat Handler. Thank you, Sister. Father, we thank you for every person at this point who is acknowledging that they want to start that journey of a beautiful exchange with you. I pray that, Lord, not only will you meet with them, but that, Lord, you will give them that full confidence that they can stand upon what Calvary has accomplished for them as they start this journey of faith with you. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this place. I ask, Lord, that we'll be reminded on a daily basis of what the cross has accomplished for us, the exchange that has taken place, and that we will walk daily in the freedom that has come because of that and the blessing that you've given us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.